I've often wondered how many members of the churches that I have served get annoyed with me on Easter Sunday because of the number of times I say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, it, it has become a greeting. An Easter greeting, and I I love the fact that it's an Easter greeting, but it really isn't a greeting. It is, in fact, a proclamation of the truth. The truth that this day we celebrate that God through Christ has overcome sin and death. And so the first person announces this truth, announces this good news that Christ is risen. And then the people respond, Christ has risen indeed, meaning we believe the proclamation. And so we want to say it as often as we can because we want to be sure that anyone around us knows that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead not just as a story, not just as a a doctrine, but in truth, in history, God raised Jesus from the dead. Christ is risen. I don't, I don't normally find myself basing sermons, especially on Easter Sunday, on bad translations. But as I looked at the text, the, the Easter story in Luke, in the New International Version, the, the version we use at church, it spoke volumes to me. And it, it helped me essentially center this whole Easter message on the wonder of the resurrection. You see, as the, the women uh, were at the crucifixion, they were witnesses of the death of Jesus. They, they watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body down and and wrap it in spices and place it in the garden tomb just there uh, below the foot of the cross. And And then they come the next morning. Now, I honestly don't know what they were thinking. Right? I mean, this is an image of a first century tomb, very much like the tomb of Jesus. And you can see that as that stone would be rolled, it would drop down and be held in place by the two rocks on either side of the opening. The women would have had no hope at moving that rock. So I don't know what they thought they were going to do. Maybe just put the spices around the outside of the tomb. Maybe pick some flowers from the garden and decorate the outside of the tomb. We do know this. We know that there was no need, there was no ritual embalming of the body uh, in the Jewish tradition. So in truth, the the bringing of the spices that the women carried was an act of love and devotion. 
As a pastor, sometimes it, it, it troubles me when uh, uh, families of people who die go to mortuaries and spend thousands upon thousands of dollars on the various accoutrements of a funeral and of a burial. But as I see these women coming to the tomb of Jesus, I begin to recognize that that is one of the things we do. To honor those whom we love and have lost. We, we, we give those things as an expression of our love and appreciation for the life we shared together. For the love we had one for the other. The disciples of Jesus loved him deeply because in their lives they had witnessed over and over again Jesus' love for them. We proclaim from the New Testament reading that we see the fullness of Christ's love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But for the disciples of Jesus, for those who were followers of Jesus in his life, they had already cultivated a deep love for their master and Lord and friend. And that is expressed as they come to the tomb. But when they saw the empty tomb, and when they looked into the tomb, thinking, oh, we're going to be able to bring the spices in to the body. Somehow the tomb is open. And it says as they saw that the body was not there that they were wondering about this. They were, in fact, perplexed about this. The better translation of the word in Greek that is translated in the NIV as wonder, it means they were perplexed. They were, they were bothered. They didn't, they didn't know what to think. They couldn't figure it out. They were struggling to understand what it was they were looking at. And then an amazing thing happens. You see... Jesus, while he was alive, before he was crucified, had predicted exactly what was going to happen three times to his disciples. He told them that he was going to fall into the hands of sinners. He told them that he was going to be crucified, died, and buried. And he told them that on the third day he would rise. But the Gospels also tell us they couldn't figure out what he meant. They didn't know what to think when Jesus predicted that. And so the angels who stand next to these women in the empty tomb remind them, remember he told you. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they are no longer perplexed. All of a sudden, they remember and believe the words of Jesus, 
who told them precisely what would happen. All of a sudden, they're filled with faith and they absolutely believe the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so what do they do? They go back to the upper room and they gather with the disciples that are there and they tell them all about what has happened. They believe. In their belief, they bear witness. They might have even said, Christ is risen. But the disciples didn't respond. He is risen indeed. They didn't believe them. It just doesn't logically make sense. It doesn't scientifically add up. It's not like they only thought Jesus was dead on the cross. They, they proved he was dead when they, when they pierced him with the spear and, and blood and water flowed out of his side. It was, he was clearly dead. And dead people don't just come back to life. So they didn't believe the testimony of these first eyewitnesses. I wonder, how's your track record? When you bear witness to your faith, to people in your life who don't believe in Jesus, do they just drop right down on their knees and worship with you, or do they struggle for a while to believe? I wonder if somehow what happens next might have been a remembrance of what happened in Jesus' life when Jesus' disciples first met him. And the one disciple goes to his brother and he says, we've met the Messiah of the Lord. And then he says this, come and see. Because that's exactly what Peter does. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians today this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying, if we're deceived, if we believe in the resurrection and it's not true, and it's a lie, then woe be to us. It isn't, it isn't our belief that makes the difference. It's the truth of the resurrection that makes the difference. You can't just believe anything you want and have it be good because, quite frankly, some things are just not true. 
But when you believe the truth, it sets you free. When you believe the truth of the gospel, that God indeed gave his son so that you would be forgiven, now all of a sudden we are free. And so there may be for some people this this moment between when they hear the witness and when the Holy Spirit inspires faith in them, and they may very well be like Peter. They may take some time before they will say that Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. When Paul writes this to the Corinthians, he's saying, this is no idle witness. This isn't just a suggestion of an idea that you can take it or leave it. He's saying, Christ did rise from the dead. God has indeed defeated sin and death, and he's done it for us, for the world he created for the people he loves, even in their sin and brokenness, to set them free to experience life as Christ intended it to be. Christ is risen. He is risen That's our statement of faith. And it's interesting because Peter, even though he didn't believe the women, it says, however, he got up and ran to the tomb. He he didn't believe it, but he wondered. It's as though the the response of the women to the empty tomb got translated to him. They wondered, and then they believed when they remembered what Jesus had said. He wondered, and so he said, I've got to go see for myself. I'm going to go and see. And so Peter goes to the tomb and discovers it is empty and the text the text says he went away wondering to himself what had happened this is where i just i just got to say come on niv help us out a bit it isn't perplexity It isn't wondering, meaning, gosh, what the heck's going on? And the way they translate it, it sounds exactly like that. It says he's wondering to himself what has happened. Huh, can't figure it out. But in truth, the word in the Gospel of Luke doesn't mean wondering. It means marveling. When Peter saw the empty tomb, he too believed. He too remembered as the women were reminded of Jesus' promise. Jesus said, on the third day I will rise, and he did. And so Peter, when he sees the empty tomb, marvels at the goodness of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we, when we can, through the Holy Spirit, believe the truth that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, death is defeated. 
when we, by the Holy Spirit, can believe that through the death of Jesus, we are forgiven for all the sins we have and will ever commit. God has wiped our slate clean. The appropriate thing for us to do is wonder. That is, marvel at the goodness of God and the love of God for us. And what we are called to do is not just marvel at the empty tomb, but to live in that promise. It's a promise that started long before Jesus. It's a promise that we hear in the prophet Isaiah. See, I will create the new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. As a Lutheran, as a person who believes in the authority of the word, when I saw those words, the former things will not be remembered. It reminded me, I need not remember my sin. I simply need to remember the promise and the faithfulness of the one who said he would die and did. The one who said he would rise and did. Live in the wonder of the resurrection. Live in the hope of the promise of God for today, absolutely, for tomorrow, without a doubt, and for eternity as we enter into the fullness of life with our Creator. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.